We are hoping to do a relaunch Easter Sunday. That would be great to get together on Easter Sunday. Uh, this kind of depends on AHS guidelines. If we are allowed to meet at 30%, then we're going to move ahead with our relaunch. Uh, we're hoping to have two services, one at 9.15 and one at 11 a.m. Unfortunately, there will still be no uh, children's programming on Sunday morning. Uh, we'll continue that uh, with Sunday School with Sarah online. But uh, you're more than welcome if we relaunch in person to bring your kids and they can sit in the church service with you as well. We always want to encourage a corporate family worship. So also, um, if you want, our church is opening up for small groups. If you want to host a Bible study or a small group or anything like that in the church, just give Benita a call and she will make arrangements for that. So as long as it abides by AHS guidelines, we should be good to go. Unfortunately, not everybody has internet and are able to enjoy our online services. So Arnold has started a ministry. Well, he's been doing this for a while, but he does this ministry where he records it on a CD and uh, delivers it to people who don't have um, access to internet so they can hear Pastor Mark's sermon. Uh, he'd like some help to deliver these CDs to people. So if you would like to be a part of that ministry, just give Arnold a call or uh, f contact our church office. There's some structural changes in our foyer. Uh, when you come back, you'll see this, but we have moved our mailboxes just outside the library and kind of condensed them. So they're now um, into folders and with family last names. So when you come back, just be aware of that. So uh, let's bow in prayer and just uh, give our service to the Lord. Gracious Father, we thank you so much uh, that we are able to uh, worship you. And even though it might look different, God, that uh, we're sitting in our homes, in our living rooms, and uh, just um, uh, enjoying our church service, Lord, we recognize that your Holy Spirit is still here, Father. And I pray, Lord, that um, your Holy Spirit would continue to work in the hearts of the people in this church, Lord. And we praise you and thank you so much for the way you worked in little Ben's life, God, and that he had such a successful surgery, Lord. And we continue to pray, Father, that uh, your hand of healing would be upon him and that you would give that family strength, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, commit our service to you, Father. We pray that you would speak through Pastor Mark, God, and that you would use his words just to bring us closer to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, we're going to move right along to our kids' moment, and then uh, Pastor Mark will uh, take it from there. Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew 26 as we continue looking at the final days of Jesus. And this morning, we're actually not going to focus so much on Jesus as we are on Peter. Uh, Peter, as you just saw, whose life was transformed by Jesus. Uh, and yet Peter's name literally means rock. Uh, and what we see in our passage is Peter hitting rock bottom. As Peter finds himself at the lowest and most humiliating, humiliating moment, uh, not just of his ministry time with Jesus, but probably of his entire life. It's a moment that moves him in the completely wrong direction. A moment that Peter would never leave, live down. 
Uh, that leaves him ashamed and weeping for his mistakes. As Peter does something he never thought he would do, and he breaks his promise and he denies the Lord Jesus. And yet, as we'll see, Peter will find that even after broken promises and bitterness, it does not mean we cannot still find belonging in Christ. And if you'd like to read along with me uh, in our passage this morning, it's going to be Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. So beginning in Matthew 26, verse 69, it says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up to him and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask that you would be with us this morning in just a powerful way. Lord, that you would... Send your spirit here and to all those who are listening. Lord, just to, just to have our hearts ready to receive the truth you would have us here this morning. Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Speak to us to, through these words I have prepared. And that, Lord, um, yeah, that this truth would find, not just in one ear and out the other, but it would find a place in our hearts that, that, that transforms us, that does a work in us, that that changes us, and that draws us closer to Christ in all that we do. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move in that way in our time this morning. That, Lord, it wouldn't be me and my words and my strength and my effort, but, Lord, it would be you at work uh, transforming lives this morning. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was dark that night. And the things that were happening made it seem all the darker. And those were things that the man hiding in the shadows could not have even conceived of as he approached the small fire to try to take the chill off the night. And yet, it was a chill that had less to do with the frost on his limbs and more to do with the terror he had in his heart. Because that man in the darkness was Peter. And Peter must have been wondering... How could things have gone so wrong so fast? And across the courtyard in the house of the high priest, men had gathered, important men, even at this late hour. They were alert. They were eager. They were like wild animals ready to pounce on their prey because before them stood a lone man, Jesus. And he was tied and he was bound and he was the guest of dishonor. He was the accused and every eye was drawn to him. And even from the courtyard, voices could be heard. As the trial commenced, accusations were read, false testimony was given, charges were levied. 
And through it all, Jesus remains silent. And Peter still hid in the shadows, cast by the firelight. Still half unbelieving that this was actually happening. And perhaps as he stood there in the courtyard, maybe his mind retraced the events that had brought him to that place. Because the last week that Peter had spent with Jesus was unlike anything he'd really ever experienced before. Even after three years of ministry by Jesus' side, those last seven days seemed special somehow. Significant. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Then there was Palm Sunday and the celebration. And then Jesus cleansed the temple of the merchants. And then his teaching put the Pharisees in their place again and again. And it all felt like it was building to something. Something big. It actually felt in the moment like Jesus' ministry was unstoppable. That it was only a matter of time before the entire city, the entire nation recognized that Jesus was truly the Messiah. And Peter was excited. Because he would be by Jesus' side when that happened. At this point, there was practically nothing that anyone could do to change that. Even the Pharisees were saying in John 12, verse 19, you see that we are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. But Peter woefully underestimated the lengths that the leaders of Israel would go to in order to hold on to their power. And he never saw it coming. Even after Jesus had warned him, even when it walked right into the Gethsemane. Because at Gethsemane, Peter was sleeping off the big Passover feast when Jesus was in the garden praying. And Peter never heard the anguish of Jesus' words as he called out to his father, is there any other way? Because Peter was too busy snoring, likely dreaming about all the things that Jesus would do the next day to again amaze the people and impress the crowds. But that's when Judas showed up. And he wasn't alone. He had what seemed like a small army at his back. And Peter was unsure what was going on, but Jesus was so calm. Almost as if he was expecting this. Jesus spoke softly but confidently to Judas, Judas who then greeted him with a kiss. And that was when in a flash the guards moved. Jesus was seized. And Peter knew they were betrayed. So Peter grabbed his sword and he began swinging because if there's one thing that Peter knew how to do, it was spring into action without really thinking about consequences. And you know, throughout his time with Jesus, Peter had moments of both brilliance and moments that resembled a train wreck. But nothing ever before had caused him to waver in his commitment to Christ. After all, Peter was sort of like the bull in the china shop disciple. He was used to just putting his head down and barreling through. If Peter's boat had a bumper sticker, it probably would have said, get her done. He was a man of action. A man who just did stuff. During Jesus' ministry, Peter was always the first to speak up. When Christ walked on the water, it was Peter that was the disciple who was brave enough to step out of the boat. When Christ asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Peter was the first disciple to speak up and claim Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. He never hesitated. And now Peter saw another opportunity to act. 
It's time to rescue the Messiah. The first man he reached, the servant of the high priest, went down in a blur and a flash of a sword, losing an ear for his trouble. And with the sword in his hand, Peter could feel the, the pulse of his heart, the heat of his blood. This was his moment. And he was ready. He was, he was ready for a fight. He was ready for a revolution. He was ready to go down in a blaze of glory for Jesus. But then Jesus spoke. It wasn't harshly, but he spoke with an authority that froze Peter in his place. And if we went back to Matthew 26, verse 52, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And speaking those words, Jesus surrendered into their hands. He simply went with them. No fight, no protest, no hesitation. And suddenly Peter looked around the garden and in the torchlight he saw. And this time he really saw. He saw the armed men. He saw their number. He saw their weapons. He saw these soldiers who now that they had Jesus might now be looking for others to arrest as well. By then, many of the other disciples were already running and almost without thinking, Peter found himself running too. Racing blindly through the darkness, fleeing a danger that he did not really even understand. Oblivious as olive branches scratched at his face as he ran past in terror, running until his breath and his lungs burned, but still not stopping. Running until he knew that no one was chasing. And he had finally escaped. And I'm sure the first feeling that he could recognize as his pulse begins to slow is relief. But soon the confusion begins. Soon the questions began to fill his mind where moments earlier fear had pushed everything else aside. Questions that began to pull him back to his senses. Questions that began to pull him back to Christ. And not quite knowing why and not quite knowing where he was going, Peter begins to follow those sounds of armed men as they walk back, in the darkness as they walk. And Peter walks back into the night once more. And we're told in Matthew, Again, chapter 26, in verse 57, that those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Peter followed, but at a distance, close enough to see, but hopefully not close enough to be seen. And there in the courtyard of the high priest, Peter was about to go through an experience that would change his life forever. Peter, whom Jesus called the rock. Peter, this man of action. Peter, the self-assured and confident, had never been more unsure of anything in his life at that moment. 
And the same man who is ready to stand single-handedly against a mob of trained soldiers and hired thongs, wielding his sword in the torchlight of Gethsemane, would soon lack the courage to face even a young servant girl. And that brings us to our passage in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69, where it says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. See, Peter doesn't hesitate a second before he denies even knowing Jesus. Jesus? Never heard of him. No idea what you're talking about. It was a bold, flat-out denial. But even then, Peter could not escape the scrutiny. Verse 71 continues. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, they recognized Peter's face. They must have known him as the man by Jesus' side. You know, when people were flocking to Jesus and the crowds had gathered, more often than not, it was Peter who was standing by Jesus' side. In fact, being seen with Jesus was one of the proudest moments of Peter's life. You could see him beaming with pride. He loved the notoriety, loved the crowd seeing him in a place of honor as one of the twelve. One of his disciples. Peter loved being seen with Jesus. But now is not a good time to be a follower of Christ. So Peter denies it all again. This time adding an oath. Verse 72, again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Peter, I swear, scouts honor. It never happened. I never knew him. I give you my word, cross my heart, hope to die. Heaven is my witness. I'm not that guy. And the pit that Peter is digging is getting deeper and deeper still. But that's still not enough to stem the flood. As verse 73 continues, and after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. You see, Peter was from Galilee. And you could tell a Galilean by their accent. They had a very distinctive way of speaking. Charles Swindoll recalls a time saying, A number of years ago, my wife and I were enjoying a lovely evening at one of the finest restaurants in the city of Dallas. And in keeping up with the decor, the servers wore Egyptian attire. He says, surrounded by that ambiance, we felt as if we were in old Morocco. Until the young woman assigned to our table walked over and asked, y'all's ordered y'all's drinks yet? He says, that moment, we knew we were still in Texas. You see, people knew where Peter was from. The fact that he was from Galilee was a fact that was plain from his own words. His accent betrayed him. So what was someone from Galilee doing at the house of the high priest in the middle of the night if he wasn't there for Jesus? I mean, they had him dead to rights. So if Peter was going to get out of this, he better think of something and think of it quick. And it's then that Peter reverts to the lowest form of speech in any language. Verse 74 tells us, Then he began to invoke a curse upon himself and to swear. 
I do not know the man. And whatever form this swearing and this cursing took, whatever it is that Peter said and did in that moment, it must have been effective. You know, the people must have looked at Peter and this horrible display of depravity, cursing and screaming and swearing. And they looked at him and they said to themselves, you're right. You know what? There is no way that a guy who acts like that is actually a follower of Jesus. And Peter's words are still hanging in the air when we read in verse uh, 74, continues, immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And you know, in that moment's mind, I'm sure Peter's mind would have gone back to Jesus' words earlier in that evening. Now still in Matthew 26, if you want to go back to verse 31, it says, then Jesus said to them, his disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the others said the same. You know, in the course of one evening, the disciples would go from arguing over their greatness in the kingdom of God to actually deserting their king. It wasn't just Peter, all the disciples fell away. The wolves came, the shepherd was taken, and the sheep fled. But you know, Peter really thought that he would show them all. Peter really thought that he was man enough to succeed where others would fail. Peter really thought that his commitment to Jesus was so complete that by the strength of his own convictions, he would never leave Jesus' side. How hollow Peter's words must have seemed now. How feeble his confidence in his own abilities. How fragile his courage turned out to be. And it's in Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 61, that reveals that as the rooster crowed, as Peter was denying Christ, verse 61 says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And as their eyes met, with that look, Peter's soul is laid bare. And the reality of his actions Come rushing in. Max Lucado imagines it like this. Three times people said it. And each time Peter denied it. And each time Jesus heard it. Three times the salt of Peter's betrayal stung the wounds of the Messiah. And Peter would never forget that look. Though Jesus' face was already bloody and bruised, his eyes were firm and focused. They were a scalpel laying bare Peter's heart. And though the look lasted only a moment, it lasted forever. And in that moment, we're told in verse 75, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. 
Bitter tears of repentance sting Peter's eyes. The weight of his guilt, his regrets, bear him to the ground in grief and sorrow. And he wants to take it back. He wants to be able to do it differently, but he can't. So he weeps. Weeps for the Savior that he failed. He weeps for himself, for being so blind and so foolish and so weak and so human. You know, Jesus once told Peter that Satan asked to sift him like wheat. And when the winnowing is over, all that's left is a person who's laid bare and broken, shedding tears of his own regrets. And in that moment, Peter's a smaller man without the self-confidence he used to wear. And yet it's in a moment like this that I think we too can relate to Peter. Because Peter the brave, Peter the bold, Peter the confident. It's not really a guy I know. I'm not by nature a walk on water, risk taking, fight picking, get in other people's faces kind of guy. But Peter the broken, Peter the mistaken, Peter the sorrowful, I've been in that guy's shoes. And that's why I don't want us to be too hard on Peter. Because you know what? I know that if Jesus came walking up into this pulpit right now and announced, one of you is going to betray me this week, he could be talking to me as much as anyone else. On any given day, any one of us could walk the same path that Peter did. Just in our own way. Charles Swindoll writes, Not one of us can look down on Peter in judgment. Many of us will never face a literal life or death decision with regard to our standing for Christ. But we will all meet up with opportunities to witness to our trust in him. Those opportunities are lost when we, in effect, deny Christ when our fears pin us to the ground. Perhaps in our workplace, we have numbered ourselves with the bystanders. Maybe in some social situation, we have compromised, denying the very Lord we claim to love and worship the previous Sunday morning. Perhaps at an opportune moment to share our faith in Jesus Christ, we have kept silent, afraid of being branded a religious fanatic. We can deny Christ every day simply by the words that we say and the things that we do when we look out for ourselves instead of standing by Christ. In a million subtle ways, each one of us can deny Christ in our lives with our words, with our choices, with our behavior. It's just that a rooster doesn't crow every time that we do it. And maybe it'd be better if it did. You know, what if there was some kind of alarm that could go off every time we made a mistake when it came to faith? Like some kind of instant awareness of our failure. But honestly, how discouraging would that become? And you know, there are days for me that if there was really a failure of faith alarm that went off, I'd be worried it would go off so often it would be a distraction to other people. Because I know what it is to fail, just as much as the next guy. And all around us every day, there are people, good people, good Christians. And the reality is we let Jesus down. People who make mistakes... And they just get lost in the darkness. People who felt like they've just, they've fallen away from Jesus. They don't know how they got to the place they were, but they know 
There's a distance there. And they're living with regret about what might have been and the decisions they've made. And that's really the place that Peter finds himself here. And I wonder in this moment if you would have looked at Peter crying bitterly, weeping. What would you truly have seen? As you looked at Peter, would you see a person who was a phony? A person who was a failure? A person who could just no longer be trusted? Or would you see a person who is actually on his way back to a right relationship with God? Would you see a man who even after this colossal failure would one day become a leader in the church? Because that's what Jesus saw when he looked at Peter. Yes, Jesus saw his brokenness. Jesus saw the shame. Peter saw the sorrow in Peter's heart. But Jesus also saw Peter. The man who once was restored would live a life without reservation for Christ. And we know that because we're told in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, that after the resurrection, one beautiful morning, Jesus finds Peter on a beach after a night of fishing. And Peter has spent the last few days after this moment with his mind full of questions. Questions like, what did I do? Is there any hope for someone who runs away? Someone who denies their Lord? Can I ever be forgiven for what I have done? And yet when Peter finally does meet the resurrected Lord, all Jesus does is ask Peter a question. And it's a simple question, but it's a question that really, when it comes to Christ, it's a question that means everything. He asked Peter, do you love me? John 21, 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And notice Jesus doesn't say, Peter, do you know how much you've you screwed up? Peter, do you know how disappointed I am in you? Peter, couldn't you have been stronger? He doesn't say, Peter, I told you so, because I told you so. No, instead of any of those things, Jesus asks about where Peter's heart is at. Because that's what's really important here. In fact, nothing is more fundamental when it comes to following Christ than that. Jesus himself told us. When someone asked Jesus, what's the most important thing? Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And that's what Jesus desires. More than anything else, it's not more activity, it's not more programs. Jesus doesn't want to know if you're willing to work harder. He doesn't even want to know if you're willing to try and fail less. What Jesus wants to know is, do you love him? And after all of his failure and all his denying, all of his mistakes, that's all that Jesus really asks of Peter. Because it's our love for Jesus that makes the real difference. And three times Jesus asked Peter that question. Once for every time that Peter denied him. And each time Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And in response to Peter's answer, Jesus answers him again three times with the words, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And I love Jesus' answer there because that response is a response of grace. 
That response is a response of forgiveness. That response is a response of restoration and reconciliation and healing by Jesus into Peter's life. Because when Jesus says to Peter, feed my lambs, he's saying, Peter, you got to know if you love me, there's still room for you to serve me. If you love me, there's still room for you to be part of the team. Peter, if you love me, then I still have work for you to do. Peter, if you really love me, feed my sheep because I still have a plan and a purpose for your life. And none of what you did is going to mess that up. And this work I have for you, Peter, you got to know it's not glamorous. It's not upwardly mobile or good for the social standing. It's lowly, humble, long-suffering work. But it is yours. And you know, from that moment on, there was no temptation, no struggle, no opposition, no enemy, no trial, no trouble or tribulation that would ever stop Peter from living out that call again. Peter was a changed man in that moment. Because I think now Peter understood. He understood that as a follower of Jesus, it wasn't about how strong he could be. It wasn't about his own talents and his own abilities. It wasn't about what he could bring to the table and do for Jesus. It wasn't even about his past failures or his present regrets. No, Peter learned that as a follower of Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's about serving him. It's about living for him. It's about loving him with all that we are. And you know, in the end, it was his love for Christ that made Peter the man who we know him to be. Because we know what happened. We know the rest of the story when it comes to Peter. Peter was among the first witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. Peter preached and led 3,000 people to Jesus in one day at Pentecost. Peter healed the sick. Peter raised the dead back to life. Peter first brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter helped lead the early church. And Peter even penned the very words of Scripture in two books of the New Testament that bear his name. And you know, when the end came for Peter, Tradition tells us that Peter was sentenced to death by Roman authorities in the year 64 AD and he was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Peter never ran again because his love now bound him to Christ. And from broken promises and bitterness, Jesus brought Peter back to a place of belonging. So where does this sermon find you this morning? Are you warming yourself by the fires of compromise? Are you lurking in the shadows of silence? Are you waiting in limbo on a beach with a thousand questions and no answers about where you stand with Christ? If you find yourself in a place like that, there's something that you need to hear. There's something all of us need to hear this morning. That there's in your life no circumstance, no situation, no trial or hardship that you are going through right now that Jesus cannot use in your life to draw you closer to himself. And yes, you know, maybe you've made bad mistakes. But again, you need to hear this. Jesus didn't die for perfect people. He died for us. 
for the misfits and the beaten up and the broken. He died for sinners. He died for people who run when they should stand and who stand when they should run. So what do we do when we're in that place where we feel like we've let Jesus down? Where we feel like we're on the outside looking in? What do we do when we feel like we've failed? What do we do when we are in that place where we are weeping those tears of repentance for our sin and we just, we want to start anew? Well, we do what Peter learned to do. We just get back up and we love Jesus with all that we are, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We love him and we just keep living for him with our lives and we serve him with our strength. Because God still has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And you know, while we still draw breath, it's never too late to turn around. It's never too late to recapture that first love. It's never too late to repent and start again. It's never too late to make that choice just to love Jesus all over again. Because you know, it's interesting in this passage that while Peter was busy denying Jesus, Jesus was busy dying for Peter on the cross to offer him forgiveness and a place in the family of God. And that's what grace is all about. Grace doesn't respond in anger. It restores in love. Grace doesn't accuse. It accepts. Grace doesn't keep a record of wrong. Its desire is only to keep us close to the heart of God. And no matter where you stand, no matter what you've done, no matter your mistakes that you have made, the good news is you can draw close to God. If you're ready to love Jesus with all your heart and soul, if you're ready to follow him with your life, if you're ready to answer Jesus' call, the door is still open to you. And I believe that God has been speaking to some of you this morning. That he's been calling to you. You who have been far off, you who feel alone, you who are hurting and afraid and still hiding in the darkness, Jesus is calling you right now to a place of belonging by his side. He's calling you to be restored and renewed. He's calling you to come back and live in his love for the rest of your days. So let him speak into your life this morning to hear his voice and accept his grace and to follow him back to a place by his side. Because you may be feel like all you have left is broken promises and bitter tears. But Jesus can use those things to bring you back to a place of belonging with him. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I know that even this morning, many people who are listening are coming to you in a, who find themselves in a hard place. Maybe that's a place of our own making, our own mistakes. Maybe it's just circumstances of life that have overwhelmed us and taken us to someplace we never expected to be. But Lord, in that place, so many people are feeling broken and alone and confused. And in that place, I think many people have questions about where they stand, about what they've done, about how can they make things right when this is my life. And yet when Peter was in that place, you were literally on trial to die for his sins, to offer him for forgiveness and grace and restoration and reconciliation. Because you don't use our past mistakes to reject us or accuse us. 
You use our mistakes as opportunity for us to grow closer to you. And that door is always open. You know, if we can say with Peter, you know that we love you, Lord. And we can say that with all of our hearts, that we love you, love you best, love you first, love you more than these. Then reconciliation happens. And we can restore that relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that those who hear that this morning would hear and that they would respond and that they would draw near to you even now to find you waiting and to find grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.